five, four, three, two, one. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of Generation Jihad. I'm Tom Jocelyn, and I'm joined again this week by my colleague, Bill Roggio. Bill? Hi, everyone. Before we jump into this week's topic, I'd like to ask you, the listeners, to do us a favor. If you could jump onto the Apple Podcast app and rate our show, preferably with five stars, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you know me, you know I hate this sort of thing. I hate self-promotion. I'm barely on Twitter. Bill, you know that. I can barely even tweet these days. Uh, but this is the way the I can't stand it either. Yeah, but this is the way the world works now, and it would help us greatly. Um, I'm not a tech guy, but Phil tells me that there are algorithms. Phil's our techie guy, our guys helping us run the podcast. He tells me that there are these algorithms and the like that help people find podcasts, and that if you guys positively review ours, it'll help drive others to Generation Jihad. So that would be greatly appreciated if you guys could go out there and do that. We've already got a number of positive reviews, but we could always use more. And so with that, thank you. Now let's get on to the show. So if you guys have been paying attention at all to the news in recent months, you've certainly come across the Communist Ch- the Chinese Communist Party's campaign of forced assimilation and repression in the northwestern Xinjiang region of China. Um, it's estimated that about one million, perhaps more, Muslims are being detained in a system of concentration camps. Yep, that's right. We're here in the year 2020, and there's still talk of concentration camps. Uh, These camps were originally conceived as Maoist-style re-education facilities, but they're now serving as forced labor factories where prisoners are are made to manufacture goods for the Chinese state. According to a report released by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom earlier this year, the camp's former prisoners have described these facilities as a horror show, uh, suffering torture, forced sterilization, rape, and other abuses. It's really horrific. And just recently, if, you've, if you're on Twitter or on social media, as much as I loathe social media, you can see there have been images uh, captured uh, apparently by some sort of drones of um, Uyghurs being loaded onto trains and being shipped off to these facilities. It's just absolutely disturbing. Minders uh, for the Ch- Chinese Co- uh, Communist Party are also stationed at mosques and within Muslim families in Xinjiang. They are forced to snoop around for any hint of religious extremism. But if you read about this or look into this at all, you realize that what the Chinese state defines as religious extremism really can basically include any form of religious expression. And you have a number of perhaps a half a million or more Muslim children who have also been separated from their families and are being placed in boarding schools and other sort of re-education uh, education facilities. In all, what you're seeing here in Xinjiang is a dystopian surveillance state. The Chinese Communist Party is using state-of-the-art artificial intelligence and facial recognition technology to help identify and keep tabs on ethnic Uyghurs and other Muslims as they go about their daily lives. And as I cited a moment ago, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom has documented this widespread digital snooping and has reported that it's not limited to Xinjiang or Tibet, where it's also being employed. Uh, These are the locales where this surveillance technology is being perfected, but the Chinese Communist Party hopes to spread it throughout the entire nation. In fact, they want to cover all the key public areas and key industries, according to that same report. Now, this is one of those things where um, life can imitate art, because the Chinese surveillance architecture began with something the Chinese Communist Party calls Skynet. It's an interconnected system of cameras that was installed around 2005 for the stated purpose of tracking down criminals. Now, if you're a sci-fi buff or a movie buff, you've probably heard of the Skynet of Terminator fame. It was that artificial intelligence system that launched a nuclear war against humanity. Skynet has become self-aware. In one hour, it will initiate a massive nuclear attack on its enemy. What enemy? 
Us. Now, fortunately for all of us, the CCP Skynet hasn't done that. It's not quite as nefarious as all that right now, but it is pretty evil. Um, whole populations of Chinese citizens are now being monitored by the system in order to force behavioral compliance. Now, the Chinese Communist Party claims that these harsh measures are necessary to thwart terrorism, but that isn't really true. Bill and I and the Long War Journal team, including Caleb Weiss, have been covering the main Uyghur terrorist group, the Turkestan Islamic Party, for more than a decade. It's a real Al-Qaeda group. You know, Bill, some of these disconnected daughters, you know, these guys who try and pretend like groups like this aren't really Al-Qaeda have tried to argue it isn't really Al-Qaeda, but you and I know it is for a lot of reasons. Right, Bill? We're going to get into that. Yep, absolutely correct. I mean, the fact, you know, it's footprint, not just in China, but in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Syria, um, should be, you know, it's a global terrorist group, folks. And it, it, there's no doubt that they, this group threatened to attack the 2000 Olympic Games in Beijing. We, we reported on the video at the time when it came out. The U.S. government um, and other sources have, have reported, have connected to other plots. It's probably responsible for attacks inside China, although that gets murky. Um, you know, the U.S. has also reported it's been linked to a plot against the U.S. Embassy in Kyrgyzstan uh, way back when, years ago now. Um, but the CCP's policies, the Beijing's policies, go way beyond the terrorist threat of the Turkestan Islamic Party. In fact, the CCP may be driving more Uyghurs and Al-Qaeda's in the Islamic State's arms with its oppression than, ter- than stopping terrorists. It may be, may be forcing more recruits into the jihadis' arms than, than terrorists it's actually stopping. It's tough to say, but this is sort of one of the dynamics that we like to explore here on the podcast. Um, so we thought we'd discuss that a little bit more this week, giving you an overview of the Turkestan Islamic Party and going back in time. Because here's the, here's the thing, folks. This is a real Al-Qaeda group, as I just said. It's a real jihadist group. It's a real ter- terrorist organization. We can't, don't dismiss that or downplay that. But that doesn't mean you can justify everything that Beijing, the Chinese state, is doing in Xinjiang or elsewhere. Uh, hardly. And that's really the sort of the dynamic that Bill and I wanted to explore a little bit today. And we're going to talk about the Turkestan Islamic Party and its history. It was also formerly known as the Eastern Turkestan Islamic Movement. And, you know, Bill, one of the funny things is we were preparing for the podcast this week that I thought of as, you know, this is obviously, this is a horror show, as I said, but one of the humorous notes in all this is I, I remembered back to 2009, it was the first time I testified for Congress, I did a testimony about the Guantanamo population, and it was a bizarre spectacle. I think there were three or four of us as witnesses, and um, two congressmen, one Mike Delahunt from Massachusetts and the other one Dana Rohrbacher from California, took this bizarre line that um, the Turkestan Islamic Party doesn't really exist. Um, it's just basically a front for to Chinese interests to discredit um, sort of the nationalism of, of the Uyghur population and their own sort of separatist movement. And I had to explain to him, look, you know, Turkestan Islamic Party does exist. There's plenty of evidence it does. It's a U.S. and U.N. designated terrorist organization. It's its own independent entity. Um, however, it is part of Al-Qaeda. And when I say independent, I mean it's independent from the Chinese state. It's not something that's some sort of elaborate cutout for the Chinese state. But apparently this theory had gained a foothold in various places, and I haven't seen it recently, but I remember being sort of interrogated on this many years ago now on this whole thing. And I remember also there was this human rights uh, expert who I, I don't um, – I won't name her, but I don't. I don't doubt her her intentions or her sincerity. But she was very angry with me for going through the files of the Guantanamo detainees and pointing out that hey, you know these Uyghur guys who were detained there, um, their profiles don't match the nationalist separatists that that you're talking about. The other people are talking about that these guys really are jihadists and are part of Al Qaeda. And this kind of goes to one thing I would say here at the outset, which is that you know look when you're dealing with 
um, a bad actor like the Chinese Communist Party or Bashar al-Assad in Syria or any other other different actors we're talking about, Vladimir Putin. It's true that their actions can fuel jihadism, can drive people to recruitment because it disaffects populations. It sort of um, it makes people wary of the state and can drive them into radical arms. But that doesn't mean that there aren't radical arms to begin with. It doesn't mean that there aren't radical groups, terrorist groups to begin with that can exploit this. And you know, one of the things we always talk, uh, Billy, you and I, before we even get into this a little bit more, you and I talk about insurgencies and Al-Qaeda's insurgency. And one of the th- first things you learn when you start studying about insurgencies is that a lot of times local grievances can be refracted through an ideological lens in order to fuel an ideological insurgency, in order to fuel um, sort of uh, efforts to overthrow the state. Now, the interesting thing to me is that in Xinjiang in particular, we don't see a full-blown jihadist insurgency. We have some reports of attacks and that sort of thing, but we don't see a full-blown insurgency there. We do see the Turkestan Islamic Party's role in insurgencies elsewhere. I was wondering if you had any preliminary thoughts on that before we get, get into this. Yeah. Yeah, um, and before we get there, and I think I think first of all that speaks to, I think the Chinese uh, oppression of the Uyghurs of the Muslims in, in Xinjiang is um, has been relatively effective, and this is basically what has driven them outside of the country and into the arms inside of Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Syria, where they can operate, uh, get their contacts. Um, and, you know, work as part of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and other terrorist groups, the network there. It's part of the networking. It's the training. Um, I believe they have an intention, you know, or at least be reading their statements. They have every intention of trying to take the fight back into China, but they have, have not been very effective at this. And I think that's why you see a, a greater international presence with them. And, you know, to back up one point that you had made, you know, the the just because the Chinese are a bad actor doesn't mean that Turkestan Islamic Party isn't a bad actor, too. We've seen a sim- very, very similar, if not uh, the same dynamic in the caucuses um, with Russia and as well as the Islamic Caucus Emirate. Um, and also in know, Syria, the- and also in Syria, Bashar al-Assad, I remember there was that theory that ISIS was basically just some sort sure. of part of some elaborate game by Assad. Yeah, exactly. And it just doesn't make any sense right. to get into it, but yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, you know, look, the, the reality, you know, people wanted to, you know, sort of hold up the the every Chechen rebel insurgent terrorist as being, you know, sort of this, um, you know, independent freedom fighter. Well, the fact is, and as you noted, you know, these uh, jihadist groups have a way of getting into the bloodstream of these insurgencies and often taking them over from the inside. And um, I think the Islamic Caucus Emirates, which, you know, is very, very closely allied, if not in Al- direct Al-Qaeda, uh, but undeclared Al-Qaeda affiliate, um, they were very effective in doing that. And, um, you know, the Turkestan Islamic Party, you know, it's it's bought into Al-Qaeda's um, global, you know, mission to global mission to establish a global caliphate and impose Sharia, uh, impose Sharia law. Um, and it wants to do that in, in uh, Western China as well. Um, but it's just not at this point in time, it's not strong enough to have a significant impact. And that's what, by the way, which makes the, you know, the Chinese, uh, see, I think they're using the, um, the, you know, the part of this using the Uyghur threat, the Turkestan Islamic party threat to, try and justify its concentration camps, which, by the way, it claims don't even exist, which is very humorous in itself, if it wasn't so, would be if it wasn't so deadly. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I just find it interesting that, the, you know, the Chinese, they, like you said, they're, they're persecuting Christians, they're, per- they're persecuting anyone who has yeah, all, all, sorts, all sorts of that religions, isn't, yep. 
And they're not, they're, yeah, Uyghur Muslims aren't the only ones. Absolutely, they're going after yep. all sorts of any because they see it as something that yeah, tears apart the, tears apart the cultural fabric of what they envision for the communist state. Basically, that's the way they view it. Yeah, exactly. I just read how they're basically telling Christians if you don't, you know, denounce your views, you're not going to receive any uh, type of uh, you know welfare, aid, housing, any of those types of things that are provided by the state. I'm sure it's a lot worse than that. So now you got into, I think you got into, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably started covering the Turkestan Islamic Party um, by through the drone campaign in northern Pakistan and, and the war fighting in Afghanistan. Is that right, Bill? That's probably where you came yeah, from. Yeah, that, that's correct. That's yeah, where you got fighting. into from. So you, so you saw the guys are being targeted and saw how these TIP guys were integrated into the, the global jihad there in northern Pakistan, that sort of cesspool that was brewing there. The U.S. had this drone campaign that was going after these guys. And I came at it from a different perspective. I started going out, looking in these guys um, by studying the detainee population at Guantanamo. Bill, you remember I built the big database of yep. all the guys who were ever yeah. held there and had all these variables looking through all the detainees because Guantanamo was obviously very controversial. I find, you know, maybe we'll do it an episode on that at some point. Um, but it's uh, it's one of those things where this, you can learn a lot by going through the files that were produced at Guantanamo about how Al Qaeda functioned prior to 9-11 in particular. Um, back to the late 1990s and early 2000s. Um, and there were these 22 Uyghur detainees who were held at Guantanamo. Now, the Pentagon later decided that some of them were, were deemed no longer enemy combatants. The Bush administration basically gave up on defending their detention. They, the Bush administration was, I don't want to get into all the legal back and forth on all this stuff, but basically nobody wanted to go out there and argue that these guys were really part of the Al-Qaeda web. Um, but we viewed that as one of these examples where the U.S. government becomes confused about the enemy, namely how to define al-Qaeda. Because, look, I can understand if the U.S. doesn't want to detain most of these guys indefinitely. I think most of the Uyghurs who were out at Guantanamo were not, you know, high-level threats. They were sort of low-level guys. Some of them, perhaps even all of them, made their way to Afghanistan in the first place because of Chinese repression. I don't, I wouldn't doubt any of that. Um, but that doesn't mean that they didn't become part of the al-Qaeda web, the al-Qaeda Taliban web. And what struck me going through the files was just how much evidence there was, including their own admissions during the combatant status review tribunals at Guantanamo, how much these guys really were um, trained to fight in Afghanistan. And when you just look a little bit into a little bit further into what they were saying, yeah, they denied being Al Qaeda or Taliban, but if you look just a little further into what they were saying, obviously those denials sort of fell fell flat, fell short of being truthful. Um, and I think the truth of the matter is that the TIP, the Turkish Islamic Party, has fought alongside the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and Afghanistan since the 1990s. It's established a branch in Syria as well. We're going to get into that. Um, but this problem of defining Al-Qaeda um, and how you, how you discuss groups like the TIP has continued to this day. Right, Bill? I mean, we go through these U.S. government assessments of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan or Al-Qaeda globally or DOD assessments, Inspector General Office, and they, they always break out the TIP as a separate line item, basically, in their assessments, and there's no real explanation of how this thing fits into Al-Qaeda's global insurgency footprint. Yeah, it, it's it's a major mistake. I mean, especially since we know that TIP um, leaders have served in very senior positions within Al-Qaeda, particularly inside in Afghanistan and Pakistan. So um, I never could understand why the Department of Defense and intelligence community always seems to want to separate the TIP out from the greater Al-Qaeda network. It's it's mind-boggling, but there's a lot of things that, you know, we deal with and that I'm sure all of our listeners are 
probably tired of getting us hearing us complain about. Yeah, this, this is just a this is the disconnect the dot of, stuff, right? Many. This is the disconnect the dot stuff, right? That we talk yeah. about, you know, where basically groups like this were sort of there's the whole paradigm for understanding. Okay, it tries to put this off in its own groups like this off in its own world and really, or or sort of say it's loosely affiliated when really it's been a core part of what Al Qaeda is doing in Afghanistan for a long time. Um, yeah, close to the core. You know, one thing too that always just it, it just bothered me. I mean, we would conduct these drone strikes in Pakistan. They're usually on the Taliban compound, Connie's being a major part of the Taliban, of course. And you'd often see TIP leaders killed or wounded, um, or TIP fighters killed or wounded during these strikes. And, you know, you alongside of a Taliban, uh, or I'm sorry, alongside of an Al-Qaeda operative, an Al-Qaeda leader, leader an IMU, Islamic Movement Uzbekistan leader, or one of the Pakistani jihadist groups. Like, And, you know, at some point you have to look at that and say, hmm, maybe they're all part of the same network, but there just always seemed to be a refusal to do that, especially when it came to the, the Turkestan Islamic Party. Yeah, I mean, if they can fight together and they can die together, I don't know why anybody would pretend they're anything but uh, comrades in arms, you know? Um, yeah, we even had that... Um, that uh, Remember the Hakimullah Massoud video, right? The the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan put out. There were TIP guys in you know that were we believe that were shown within those videos as well. Yeah, you mentioned you know? the Islamic movement in Uzbekistan. One of the things that stood out to me when I was reviewing the Gitmo files was that the analysts at Joint Task Force Guantanamo um, were reporting that you know before nine eleven that the TIP was cooperating closely with the Islamic movement in Uzbekistan. You know, there's one quote in one file or a number of the files that says that they've unified their efforts to form a larger and more capable terrorist organization, which is now directly affiliated and supported by Al Qaeda and other terrorist groups. Um, and then there's another quote from those files that produced Guantanamo for the detainee population that says that the organizations, uh, the TIP and I, IMU, that is, have extensive Al Qaeda ties and numerous affiliations have existed for several years uh, with other Islamic extremist groups. So they, they've basically existed within that web all along, uh, even though people have tried to deny that. And then, you know, I was, as we were reviewing for the show today, or getting ready for the show today, Bill, there was one former Gitmo detainee stood out um, to me. There's this guy, Ahmed Mohammed, who was uh, transferred to El Salvador in 2012. I have no idea what he's up to today. Uh, but, you know, his, the, the, Fred assessment that was written for him alleged that he actually worked for Osama bin Laden's top lieutenant in Afghanistan, Abdul Hadi al Raki. And you know Abdul Hadi al Raki real yeah. well. I mean, that's a guy who was, uh, you know, he's still at Guantanamo. Um, he's somebody that they've, they've tried to bring before a military commission. But, you know, if you're working, if you're a, a Uyghur member of the TIP in Afghanistan working for Abdul Hadi al Raki, it doesn't get more Al Qaeda than that, right? I mean, I, I yeah, mean, no. I mean, he, he, He's as Al-Qaeda as Al-Qaeda gets. Al-Qaeda's top military leader, external operations. Um, yeah, if you're if you're his lieutenant, you may be Al-Qaeda. Yeah. So I went through all 20 deta two detainees there, and a, and a lot of them admitted that they were trained in these facilities in the Tora Bora Mountains, which, of course, was Osama bin Laden's stronghold in Afghanistan. It's where Al-Qaeda fled to in late 2001 to try and escape reprisals from the U.S. And, of course, a lot of terrorists escaped from the Tora Bora Mountains, including bin Laden. It's one of the reasons why that initial invasion of Afghanistan was not successful. Um, and these guys, a lot of these detainees in Guantanamo, they admitted they were trained in, in these facilities in the Tora Bora Mountains by Hassan Maksim and Abdul Haq al-Turkistani. Now, this leads us to the next part of this, this episode of the podcast, because we're going to talk a little bit about these two guys. Because... One of the things you learn about the Turkestan Islamic Party, and you think about this whole war here in the post-9-11 war, it's had remarkably stable leadership at the tippy top, at the very top of the organization, because Hassan Maksim, 
Uh, he was the first emir of the Turkestan Islamic Party. He was killed in Waziristan in October 2003. Was that with a shootout with the Pakistani forces, Bill, I think? Yeah, that was when the Pakistan, Pakistani military what sort of made this half-hearted attempt to go after al-Qaeda in northwestern, really in the tribal areas, particularly in north and south Waziristan. And then the Taliban rose up to defend their al-Qaeda and other jihadist allies. Yes, he was killed, I believe, in a shootout. It was a shootout with the Pakistani military. We were not conducting drone strikes. Right, that. right. This is before the drone campaign began. So 2005 was the first. Gotcha. So so Moxham is killed in this uh, shootout with Pakistani forces there in 2003. Now, you we followed al-Qaeda propaganda and messaging since then. And, um, you know, Ayman al-Zawahiri has, has very... Um, profusely pray, uh, praise and eulogized him, has been very, very effusive in his praise, I should say, um, you know, in, in his statements. He's lauded Moxham's fealty to the Taliban's Islamic Emirate and Mul Omar. So basically, Zawiri held, has held him up as one of these international, an example of international jihadis who've come to Afghanistan and did the right thing by pledging allegiance to Mul Omar and staying loyal to Mul Omar. And that's basically the example or one of the models that Zawiri's held up. And Al-Qaeda, um, Asahab, the central media organ for Al-Qaeda, has also released images of Zawahiri sitting side by side with Moxham in a way to underscore their relationship. Um, you know, so this is the type of thing that Al-Qaeda is very loud and proud about in terms of what is going on here. They're not hiding the fact that they're behind the TIP, and, and we're going to get into Abdul Haq in a second here. But they, they're owning Moxham. Now, I remember back in 2009 when I first testified um, before Congress, Al Qaeda hadn't released all that much about Hassan Maksim at that point. He was a lot. He was. It was. You can look back at the congressional transcript. You can see I say. You know, he's, I'm recalling this off the top of my head, but I think I said this. Um, I said it was a bit murky. This is his background was a little bit murky. I didn't really know all that much about him. I didn't d doubt that he was in the Al Qaeda fold, but I didn't really know all that much about him. Well, Al Qaeda has released a number of things about him in the in. The, year, the intervening years that sort of fill in the biography a little bit and show that they were with him all along. And Bill, now you're covering the drone strikes that start years later in northern Pakistan. You see the TIPs working with the Haqqanis, the IMU, other groups in northern Pakistan throughout that whole time. They were basically embedded within this milieu here in northern Pakistan, which was an Al -Qaeda, the Al-Qaeda scene. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't just in northwest in, in um in North and South Waziristan or Northwestern Pakistan. It was also inside at, we'd see U.S. military reports of their, of killing um, TIP members. I wanted to say it was around 2009, 2010. And, and this was in Northwestern uh, Pakistan. In that instance, they're very likely working with the IMU Islamic movement of Uzbekistan and, and the Taliban in Eastern Afghanistan with the Haqqanis. And then of course, in North and South Waziristan and the other five tribal areas, the TIP would also be, you know, operating whatever whatever Taliban leaders would uh, shelter them. And again, like I said, they would be conducting meetings. We we have video evidence of meetings with Hakimullah Massoud and and Tahir Yuldashev, who was the head of the IMU, and, um, and we believe who was a TI, there was a, T, a TIP leader in there. I think I've identified him, but I'm not certain, so I won't say it. And um, yeah, we've we've seen this time and time again. Those drone strikes you know, really shed a lot of light. It, you know, it was basically, you know, the kicked up the hornet's nest. Once those missiles started detonating in, in Pakistan's tribal areas, 
um, you started seeing who who was um, who in where they were and who were they were working with. And the reality is, is they were working with all flavors of Pakistani Taliban, not just the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan, but um, Taliban leaders who were not affiliated with the Pakistani Taliban or, or the Afghan Taliban groups like the Hafiz Gul Bahadur group or the Mullah Nazir group. And these are those um, Taliban groups that are considered to be pro-government. I use put that term in quotes or good Taliban also in quotes. So these are the Taliban elements that are supported by the Pakistani state, even though they they are against the enemy of the enemies of the Pakistani state. And, you know, the TIP um, was has actually been targeted several times by the um, Pakistani military, but it's only come when the Pakistan, when the uh, Chinese really start breathing down their throat about it. Um, it was, I just, I think I recall one point in time, I want to say it was like 2009 or two, it, I think it might've even, I, I, I can't remember. It was so far back. Um, we're talking a decade ago. I can't believe it. Um, where, you know, the Pakistanis came out and said, oh, we killed the, this senior leader of the TIP. He wound up, he wasn't dead, but they did it like within a month after the Chinese really complained about the TIP. So they, you know, the, the Chinese recognize it. They're estimated to have about four to have 500 fighters in Northwestern Pakistan at the time and s- several hundred more in Afghanistan. I suspect this was years ago. This is years ago. This is years ago. Yeah. Decade ago. I suspect that number was higher at the time. I, could not even come, could, couldn't even uh, try and give you an estimate of what that would be now. Yeah, the U.S. puts out different estimates, putting their numbers in the hundreds, um, but nobody really knows how many fighters they've got. I mean, uh, they're, they're known to be in Badakhshan right now. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But, yep. but the bottom line is we don't really know how many how many fighters they have. We, we are very suspicious of any sort of bo- any body counts and any fighter counts, right, Bill? We're always suspicious. Of yeah, them. exactly. Yeah. And look, I, I certainly think when it came to the Pakistan estimate, there, there had to be enough of them to really get under the skin of the Chinese government. That's always, you know, that to me was a, a key tell that there had to be enough of them to for it to actually be problematic. We weren't talking 10 or 20 here. That's probably something the Chinese would not worry about, but they're, they're going to worry when those numbers get into the hundreds and they're starting to see evidence of... Um, these guys, you know, trying to foment attacks inside of the Chinese border. So ever since Maksim was killed in northern Pakistan in 2003, the TIP has been led by Abdul Haq al-Turkistani, his longtime comrade and partner. Um, now, here's where there's a tension between the way the U.S. government thinks about these things or tension in how they think about these things. Because Abdul Haq al-Turkistani was designated as a terrorist by the U.S. and the U.N. in 2009, the U.S. Treasury Department, I think it was at the time, reported that he was a member of Al-Qaeda Shura Council, aha, which is, you know, this elite advisory council underneath Al-Qaeda's emir. Doesn't get more Al-Qaeda than that. Um, in addition, you know, some of the bin Laden files that we agitated for, for releasing, for the U.S. government to release, um, include these monthly ledgers that show who was on basically bin Laden's and Al-Qaeda's payroll. And Lo and behold, one of the guys who was on the payroll was Abdul Haq al-Turkistani. He was getting money from bin Laden's coffers every month. Um, you couldn't, again, you can't get more al-Qaeda than that. So by 2009, the U.S. government knows that Abdul Haq al-Turkistani is an al-Qaeda Shura Council member. Um, after the bin Laden raid in 2011, um, you certainly have files showing these being paid directly by al-Qaeda senior leadership. Um, you have a bunch of rhetoric. You have a bunch of propaganda, media, operational data. You can show this guy is clearly within the Al in the Al Qaeda world, no doubt about it. Um, but yet, the U.S. government, and Defense Department, and in terms of detainee policy, had basically given up by 2008, defining these guys as part the the, the TIP detainees as part of the Al Qaeda world, 
which shows you one of the tensions here in all this. And again, there are other issues with that. I, I'm not saying that these guys should have been detained indefinitely for all time, but it just in terms of identifying Al-Qaeda and how it works, there was a basic problem of definition there. So let's get into Abdul Haq al-Turkistani a little bit. Bill, I remember you were all excited in 2015 because the TIP came out of the video. I remember you calling me. You were all, this is how, how much of a nerds we are on this stuff. <laughs> we really are nerds. Yeah, you know, this video came out. And, you know, you had reported that Turkestani was thought dead. In two, he thought, the U.S. thought they got him in 2010 in a drone strike in, in where? Uh, in Northern Pakistan, Pakistan, of course. Yeah, Northern yeah. Pakistan, right? Again, so he thought that he met the same fate as his predecessor, Hassan Maksim. But then, you know, voila, here he appears in 2015 in a, in a video um, to, to proclaiming he's still alive. He's And now he's alive, but he's been in charge of the Turkestan Islamic Party since recovering from his wounds, I think, the year prior in 2014. Now, why'd you get all excited about that, Bill? Because this was this was a big aha moment, right? This was one of these places where we all of a sudden are getting pieces that we didn't have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, the, this was one where the Pakistanis were real, were touting his death, and you know, because the Chinese, you know, again, they were putting pressure. Um, uh, you know, it, this is just one of the instances, too. I mean, for me, it just shows the murkiness of the difficult um, the difficulties that we have in trying to. Uh, deal with uh, figuring out if these guys are alive or dead. And I always thought it was curious that we never saw someone named as a new emir for the Turkestan Islamic Party, um, you know, for all of that time. Um, I also got a little excited because he's just sort of one of those characters that I've always um, uh, enjoyed. They did. So, uh, and I'm, I'm, I was wrong in my statement. They did actually name a new emir. Um, his name was Abdullah Shakur al Turkestani, but he was a temporary leader for the for the TIP. That's so that's the was, detail that got you excited at the time. I remember was right. this guy was just a temp emir. Turns out he wasn't the yep. real. It wasn't, and basically Abdul Haq was probably recovering from wounds, so he was probably right. Exactly, and not just that, but Abdul Sh- Shakur al Turkestani was also identified as a member of Al Qaeda's network as well. I think he at one point led Al Qaeda's. Um, I'm going off a of memory here, but I, I he was a military commander for Al Qaeda in northwestern Pakistan along the at Pakistan Afghanistan border. So you know you had all these types of things there going on with him, and yeah, I get a little geeky about those things. I do admit it. Now, Abdul Haq Al Turkistani's career, I think you know, as we were preparing for the show this week, I I thought you know, look, here's another guy who really is a good example of the two of the themes you and I discuss all the time. And the first one is the longevity of some of these jihadis. And then the second is the uncertainty concerning reported deaths. Now, we just got into the uncertainty concerning the reported deaths for a little bit because, you know, as you, I think it was you, Bill, first said that if you, if you don't see a corpse or somebody doesn't, you know, cut off these guys' head and drive a stake through their heart, you can't be sure they're dead, right? You've been covering who's dead or you're, you've been covering the, 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 che- the, the checkerboard or game board of who's alive and who's dead for a long time. You know how much a pain in the ass that is to do, right? And uh, yeah. and this is a guy who, you know, look, he thought he was dead and he wasn't. Here he is. He's, he's back, right? They didn't, they didn't put the, the stake through his heart. They didn't decapitate him. Here he is. He's back. Yeah, we always, Tom and I always joke, look, they're, they're vampires. You know, they come back to life when you least expect it. Got to drive the stake through the heart, chop off the head, expose them to sunlight as well. Get your garlic um, and out. Then and we, only we both then. have Italian roots, so get your garlic out, right? A little, yeah, little exactly, sauce, you know? exactly. Yeah. Get your crucifix. Yeah. And uh, that only then and only then. In, in the case of um, uh, Turkestani, he was, he, the U.S., both the U.S. government and the Pakistani government 
we're certain that he's that he's alive. Usually, a lot of times, certain he was dead. Certain he was dead. That he was dead. I'm sorry. A lot of times, you see these claims, and they'll just attribute it to some unnamed official. In the case of Pakistan, their interior minister um, came out and put his name to that report. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's the that's the sort of the situation that we deal with. It is extremely difficult. Um, now, you know, to say that, but by the way, especially during this time too. Yeah, with those officials, by the way, you know, look, they did get him right. It just they didn't kill him. That's the thing. Yeah. Right. You know, that's they that, didn't kill him. Which is why this is which is part of the murkiness here, right? Is that yeah, it's true. Well, they they he probably was wounded in this drone strike. It's just how they how are they certain he was dead? That's the problem. And listen, that lesson probably a lot applies to other AQ figures right now, right? I mean there there are potentially other guys who, who were thought to be killed or uh, who aren't who aren't dead. Right. And, you know, and, and that also speaks to another. Uh, so he, we think he's dead. They stop looking for him. But yet he's convalescing. And where's he doing that, by the way? You know, who has the infrastructure? He's an enemy of every state in the region. Um, where is he doing that? How is he how, for four plus years? He's able to hide from the government. You know, it, it, it exposes a lot of problems, you know, the lack of very good intelligence. I mean, I recognize it's difficult, particularly in um, extremely lawless places like North and South Waziristan to actually know something. But, you know, you had drones flying over the area all the time. You had an extensive intelligence operation with informants and, and electronic surveillance and all sorts of gadgets in order to try to figure out who was uh who was who and who they kill you know who to target and yet some a guy like him he um you know he's he not only did he survive the attack but his convalescence was undetected for what four plus five almost five years yeah so it just speaks i always found that to be amazing just speaks to the problems here and assessing this stuff and and the analytic problems and assessing what's going on but on the longevity point which is one of the two points he's talking about just think about it. This is a guy who's been in the game since prior to 9-11. He's probably been in the game since the late 1990s. That makes him a 20-plus year veteran of the jihad. 20-plus years this guy's been going at it. He's still going at it today. Um, you know, again, we always say, you know, name me the U.S. personnel who've been in the game that long. You know, it's it's few and far between. Um, so, so, look, he's still going at it. And, you know, by the way... From Al-Qaeda's perspective, they're very happy he's still going at it because, as we reported back in 2016, yeah. 2016, so he, he reappears in 2015. 2016, Abdul Haq al-Turkistani comes out with a new video message. Um, and he basically blasts the Islamic State's caliphate. So remember, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and the Islamic State, they announced the caliphate in 2014. They have various attempts at poaching from the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and Afghanistan, Pakistan through time. Um, one of the more successful attempts, initially at least, was to get the IMU, the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan, which, as we just said, was closely allied with the Turkestan Islamic Party, and the IMU's emir, Uthman Ghazi, to defect, to basically join the Islamic State's caliphate and join Baghdadi's cause. Um, Abdul Haq comes out in 2016 and says, no, Islamic State's caliphate is illegitimate. Um, he blasts the IMU and its emir and, and accuses them uh, chastises them for initiating a quote-unquote war against the Taliban by siding with the Islamic State. And he pointed out in 2016, curiously enough, that the IMU had all but quote-unquote disappeared as a result. And we think, and we actually know what he was referencing there, right, Bill, was that the Taliban and al-Qaeda came down and cracked down hard on IMU and, and Uthman Ghazi and the defectors who tried to join the caliphate. They came at him hard. And this is one of the dynamics in all this that um, is not really well understood in the analyses of al-Qaeda-ISIS competition, but al-Qaeda had cards to play in fighting back against the caliphate's push. 
Yeah, exactly. And and if, uh, he you know he certainly is a figure of stature. And one of the things he did just after nine eleven, he well at the time of nine eleven, he was running an Al Qaeda training camp in the Tora Bora Mountains before the U.S. invasion. So this guy has a lot of sway, with particularly with jihadists um, in the region. And, you know, the, as far as the IMU goes— He being um, Abdul Haq you know, was helping to run that camp. Abdul Haq, yeah, right. yes, that's correct. Um, and the Islamic movement in Uzbekistan, it kind of—it it seems that it fractured. About half of it went to the Islamic State, and the other half, as you noted, was basically absorbed by the, um, by the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Um, we saw uh, they uh, some individuals released a statement about this. Um, I want to say it was about two or three years ago, and they noted that look, we're still around. You know, the the IMU that defected to the Islamic State, they took over the media department, so we really couldn't talk. But that was like really the only statement that I've seen in some time of any consequence from the group. I think a lot of what a lot of the uh, that so any independent IMU obviously would have been an ally of the Taliban, and so our theory on that is that they were absorbed by the Taliban. Yeah, we we see other Uzbek groups like the Imam Bukhari brigades or battalion yeah. and that sort of thing pop up, and they may very well include former IMU guys too. Uzbek, sure. we'll get into that a little bit too at the end here again. Um, but so now, so now look, Abdul Haq al Turkistani is alive and kicking. He's chastising Islamic State, going after anybody who goes into Baghdadi's fold or Baghdadi's camp. The TIP continues to fight on in Afghanistan. Um, you know, they they migrate back. More of the fighters migrate out of northern Pakistan back into Afghanistan um, to basically take part in the jihad uh, alongside the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. But concurrently, the Turkestan Islamic Party builds this sizable arm in Syria where they now have hundreds, perhaps thousands of fighters. Again, we're suspicious of any fighter counts. We don't really know how many. But it's a significant contingent just based on their what we've been able to observe of their participation in the war fighting in Syria um, and again, this is the this further undermines the idea that it's a nationalist group that the TIP is a nationalist group, right? Because if you're fighting in Afghanistan and in Syria and northern Pakistan, there's nothing nationalist about that, you know. And Abdul Haq actually at one point says, "Yeah, look, we want to. We're there. Our guys are there to fight and support the jihad against Assad, but you know, always have an eye on possibly coming back and fighting the Chinese as well." Yeah, absolutely. So that shows the continuum of the global jihad, that basically it's not an either or from them in terms of at least how they're thinking about it. Now, the TIP's arm in Syria is a curious case study in some ways. Um, one, you had the rivalry between the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda. The TIP, you know, some of its members defected to the Islamic State in Syria, but they maintained their own branch, their own TIP branch in Syria that was still allied with Al-Qaeda. And now it still remains closely allied with Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, uh, despite all the problems between Hayat Terrell Sham, which we'll refer to as HTS, and Al-Qaeda senior leadership. We got into a little bit of that in a previous episode. Um, but you know, as, as you know, we explained, Al-Qaeda's chain of command in Syria has been disrupted. It's not really clear to us anyway on the outside how this works at this point in time. We think there is a chain of command, but we're just not sure what exactly that looks like, and we haven't gotten any clarity from official U.S. sources on this. Um, but even as the TIP has been closely allied with HTS, um, it's still, you know, basically part of the Al-Qaeda web. There's no reason to believe it isn't. In fact, in 2018, the TIP Syrian arm came out with a video in which opened with this. It was all about trying to encourage hijra or migration to the lands of jihad in Syria. It opened with a quote from Osama bin Laden. It had video celebrating the 9-11 attacks. You know, this is one of the many reasons why there's no evidence that um, it had left Al-Qaeda's web. And now here, here's the part... Bill, I wanted to get into about this, which is sort of speaks to what we've been doing at Long War Journal over the years, because 
Now, I, I mentioned earlier how you, you got all nerded out when that 2015 video came out of Abdulhaq al-Turkistani, right? Uh, I got all nerded out when um, we saw this TIP-affiliated news site, um, Dogu Turkestani Bulletin, I think it was known as, right? Something yes. like that. And um, they came out and they had this article in 2018 that we had translated that said that two veteran jihadists, these two guys, Abu Omar al-Turkistani and Abu Muhammad al-Turkistani, had been sent, had been dispatched from Afghanistan to Syria, where they were going to take on leadership positions for the TIP in Syria. Now, Abu Omar was described as this military trainer, and he had served at the largest military camp under the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, meaning the Taliban. And it was in that role that he had alleged, uh, reportedly contributed to great, uh, many great operations, including by, quote-unquote, training thousands of Uyghur Mujahideen from the eastern Turkestan and Taliban Mujahideen. So again, here's an example of the TIP supporting and bolstering the Taliban's cause. And the other guy, Abu Muhammad al-Turkistani, that's a real original gnome de guerre, right? It makes it easy for us, right, Bill? Yeah, Abu they Muhammad. really, the, that's the one, you know, look, I, I like the Turkestani jihadists. They have their own flair like the Chechens, but boy, they make the, their naming conventions really makes it difficult for me to track them. Yeah, I mean, Abu Omar and Abu Muhammad are not exactly the mo most distinctive gnome de guerres we've ever covered. But in any event... Yeah. And, and that Abu gets, Tom, that gets to a point that you and I often joke uh, about these uh, jihadists. Not only are they evil, but they're inconsiderate. You know, they often conduct attacks on days. When Weekends, like to, Friday nights, Saturdays, right, trying to do another Fourth thing, of July yeah. weekend. And then they yeah. can't even come up with naming conventions that can distinguish them. Between, so we can. I would be very. I would appreciate greatly if the TIP would clarify its chain of command both in Afghanistan and Syria for us. That'd be great. So you do it that. Would be nice. But they're, but so, again, they're inconsiderate bastards. Yeah. So going back to this TIP affiliated news site, they also describe Abu Muhammad al Turkistani as somebody who came from the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, meaning the Taliban, and was known for his decade plus quote unquote operational experience because of his supposedly sharp witted mind and tactical maneuvers. And this had resulted, allegedly, in many successful direct joint operations carried out by many Taliban and Uyghur Turks in the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. So again, this article affiliated with the TIP was, was basically burnishing their credentials, these two, this pair's jihadi credentials, by saying, look at everything good they did for the Taliban Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan before they went to Syria. Now, why did I say this is sort of teasing the work we do at Long War Journal? Because I wrote this up, and I included a screenshot and included some translated portions of it and everything. And what happened, Bill? This website was taken down almost yep. immediately. Yeah, right? we see this happen. Like, you know, it's, it's almost like we're the only ones looking at it and reporting on it at, at some point. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes we're the only ones looking at certain stuff. And, they were, and the Taliban does this too with us. Mm -hmm. there, there are times where we report something or just, just saying what they're saying, just reporting on what they're saying. And there's sort of this perverse thing where we're watching them and they're watching us watch them. And so they take stuff down, right? Exactly. It just That yeah. just happened with the Turkestan Islamic Party. We talked about that, I believe, the... Well, yeah, we'll, we're going to gonna mention that. that at the end here, too. Yeah, we're sure. going to do that at the end of the podcast, too. Yeah, it, ha it happens with the Taliban on this stuff. But but here's the point, was that this article came out in which they're talking about these two guys being shipped from Afghanistan to Syria to lead the TIP's causes there. Well, what does that mean? I mean, who knows? I mean, what does that, that involve the infighting that was then raging between HTS and other Al-Qaeda groups in Syria? Probably. Maybe. Um, you know, but again, this speaks to the, the uncertainty here in evaluating all this stuff. And how do these guys fit into... Al-Qaeda's global scheme, you know, in terms of what is their rank, uh, you know, and serial number, let's say. Um, we already talked about the problems with the names, uh, you know, but what are their rank and serial numbers in Al-Qaeda's scheme? How do they fit into the whole global army that Al-Qaeda has built through the decades? And we don't know, but, you know, here's this, this news site affiliated with the TIP saying, you know, 
basically cheering on the fact these two guys are going to go lead the charge. Now, here, here's the thing about this. Even after all these these several years now of problems between HTS and Al-Qaeda leadership, the TIP is one of these curious case studies where it both overtly, ostensibly, or not ostensibly, but overtly is still affiliated with Al-Qaeda in both Syria and Afghanistan, and yet is close to HTS in Syria. You have any thoughts on that, Bill? Yeah, I, I think it's trying to... I, th- I I noticed this with the Chechen groups, with the the IMU or the Iman Barkari or or the TIP. They seem to like to straddle the fence and service mediators for these types of problems. Um, it's it's kind of I it's the only it's the only uh, maybe maybe it's because they're not large enough to really weigh in heavily. Maybe they have to hedge, you know, do a little hedging to make sure you know they don't overcommit to a losing side. I don't really know. I'm, I'm I'm only guessing, but in in my opinion, I think they these these are very serious jihadist groups, and they tend to just sort of put their nose to the grindstone and wage their jihad. And I I suspect that some of the politics that goes on in some of this may be distasteful. Again, I'm only theorizing here. I'm going to go back to that example. I know we're going to talk about it later. Look, there you know where the the Taliban you know denied our report on the TIP. Um, uh, training with, you know, fighting alongside the Taliban. From the TIP's perspective, they're just issuing a report on what they're doing. The Taliban has a greater interest in tri- obscuring these types of links. So one's operating purely from a communications slash military standpoint. Hey, here's what we're doing and where, where the Taliban's saying, hey, don't say this because this really complicates the political s- situation because we can't look like we're sponsoring global, you know, uh, foreign terrorist groups inside of Afghanistan. So that's just my guess there, Tom. Um, and, and one one further thing. That's a, that's a damn good guess, I would say. I think that's a pretty, pretty apt analysis, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what it is. I, but listen, I have nothing to base, base it on in, other than just watching this. I mean, it, it, you never really see these groups as a whole take a side. I mean, maybe the Islamic State with um, when, you know, a significant um, the the caucus uh, Emirates group kind of split over that. Um, well, the TIP took a side in the Islamic State Al-Qaeda rivalry. Yeah, Islamic right. The TIP came, came down firmly on Al-Qaeda's side. But but it didn't. It with this internal yeah, the baseball, internal, right? That's but the yeah. inside baseball stuff. They seem to basically try and punt. You know, I mean, yeah. I, the, the thing about the TIP was when I remember when the the Al Qaeda guys, some of the Al Qaeda guys in Syria were trying to level this charge against Abu Muhammad Al Jalani, the head of HDS, saying that he and his men were not really all that great. Uh, when it came to hosting foreign fighters, the TIP was very quick to sign on to statements saying, "No, no, no, they're 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 wonderful with foreign fighters." <laughs> right. were other, you know, so they basically were very quick to sort of defend Jelani's credentials in that regard, which I thought was interesting. Um, and and you know, you have other other things too. You know, we talk about the the inside baseball here. There was one of the other things we noticed in 2018. This guy Abu Zar Al Burmi, who I'd written up, otherwise known as Abu Dar, um, he was a former IMU ideologue, Islamic movement of Uzbekistan ideologue. He also had ties to Pakistan Taliban. Again, he was he's another guy, another character on the wheel of jihad in, yeah. in South 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 and Central Asia. Um, and he came out with a statement. Now he initially would defected the Islamic State or had joined the Islamic State, but then they talked talked him out of it apparently, and he came back to the Al Qaeda fold. And so in 2018, he releases this message, basically warning. Um, Uyghur jihadists and others to stay out of the infighting in Syria. This sort of this message from an ideologue in South Asia saying to guys in Syria, "Hey, don't get involved in this this infighting between Hayat Tahrir al-Sham and Al Qaeda parties in in Idlib." 
uh, which again sh- showed you that basically they wanted, at least as a matter of operating policy, they wanted to sort of have a stand down. They didn't really want to get get swarm uh, involved in what could potentially become a, a disastrous, another disastrous fitna or discord for them, internal strife for them in Syria. Yeah, it's it's, it's almost like he's saying, "Hey guys, give them the space to sort out their." internal problems. Let's not make it a bigger problem by you getting involved. I want to get back to Tom, if, if, if I may, just one point sure. on the, um, the two, um, the two TIP guys sent from, uh, from the Afghanistan, Pakistan region to Syria. Now, again, this might be something that the Taliban would deny, but you know, that is, you know, we had a report even before this came out from the TIP that the, that the TIP, was training at a Taliban camp in, in Badashan province in uh, northeastern Afghanistan. Um, the U.S. conducted an airstrike and specifically identified the TIP in this in this strike. And um, so, you know, it, it's I always find it humorous when we have all the evidence we need and the Taliban will still sit there and say, well, we haven't had a foreign fighter um, in Afghanistan since pre-9-11. Yeah, well, actually... Gets us to the next point on this. We can move on to the next point, which is that this this airstrike in early 2018. Right. There was that was the next thing on the list here. We're talking about these these training camps in Badakhshan. Um, the UN reports on this documents the TIP's role in the fighting in Badakhshan. Has even named some of its leaders um, and identified the sort of uh, few hundred fighters are thought to be there. Again, we don't really buy any of the, the fighter counts, um, but the U.S. goes and they they bomb these Taliban camps in Badakhshan. Talk a little bit about about that bill, because here's another example of where, according to the U.S. military, uh, here you have the TIPs embedded within these Taliban camps training alongside there. More recently, by the way, we have uh, Afghan officials from Badakhshan pointing to the presence of ongoing presence here in 2020 of foreign fighters there in Badakhshan. I don't have any reason to doubt the TIP is still there. We haven't seen the Taliban do anything to eject them, let alone, uh, you know, we haven't seen them do anything to recognize the TIPs there, let alone eject them from there. Yeah. Uh, but talk a little bit about the bombing of this camp. So, I thought it was weird, right? At the time, the Defense Department referred to it as Eastern Turkestan Islamic Movement, or ETIM, which is sort of the older name of the group. It's really, the TIP is really how it's more commonly referred to it today. Yeah, it's it's always interesting how they, they shuttle back and forth between the naming conventions. I just wish someone, you know, would pick them. Just like the TIP seems to pick their, uh, their nom de gore as being al-Turkistani, maybe the U.S. Department of Defense intelligence community could just pick on a single name for a um for this group but yeah it was it was really interesting particularly at the time you you know this strike Badakhshan province um there's several districts there where the Taliban controlled the districts and this is a very remote area it's in northeastern Afghanistan it borders Pakistan and China um it's it's as rural as it gets maybe like Kunar province might be more rural I'm not sure um, but you know, you had this strike take place the the department of defense or, um, us forces, Afghanistan reported on, and they noted that, um, that this camp was being, that TIP members were attending and operating in this training camp, um, by the Taliban, by the way, the Taliban has admitted that it's operating a training camp inside of Badakhshan province. Um, but they'll claim that again, they'll claim that no, 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 there was no, I, th- I think if I recall at the time, I they they issued a denial on this as well and and it was funny too when this came out tom you had some analysts out there trying to completely discount the um the fact that the tips in afghanistan and they made this whole 
a convoluted argument. Remember this? We remember we were discussing this a while back. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even want to credit these guys, these jokers, with any sort of airtime here, you know, basically. But you know, <laughs> and I know but what then you're they come about. to but the conclusion. Their own report, their own reporting documented that TIP was yes. there. That was that was the that was the idiocy of that whole thing. That was, you know, right. which is why, which they, is why they, I didn't want to bother. They make an argument it, against you know? it, and yeah. then they they give you, and then they explain why yeah. the TIP. Oh, I interviewed is there. these. I interviewed these people. You know, I, I don't think the TIP is really there, but I interviewed these people saying the TIP is there. Okay, thanks. And the military saying they're there. The TIP saying they're there. But we don't think they're there. Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. The TIP, though, I mean, there's there's a, there's a fair amount of disconnected dot stuff surrounding the TIP, you know, at yeah. the point. You know, um, and, and that, that's been there three years, too. Um, it's a now, common I mean, theme that just persists in just about every theater. I mean, maybe Somalia might be the only one that I detect where... I don't see people trying to say Shabab isn't part of Al Qaeda, although that's not true too. I mean, we've had that. Um, it's one of the more frustrating things that we have to deal with, anyway. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, the, the, the more the most ridiculous part of this too, right, is that I think a lot of this is motivated by people wanting to sort of um, argue that the U.S. military doesn't need to take an active role in places like Afghanistan, right? Sort of the the subtext is, oh well, you know, they're just pointing to the TIP's presence because they're warmongers and they want to justify war. I mean, to be honest with you, who the heck is are calling for war in Afghanistan based on the TIP? I mean, most Americans don't even know what the TIP is. I don't even think most Defense Department officials know what the TIP is. Yeah, you know I, mean? How, you know, I mean, it's just sort of funny that the Taliban and sort of Taliban apologists and people who are against U.S. military action, they sort of are very desperate to sort of downplay the role of a group like this or dismiss it for convoluted reasons as far as I'm concerned because nobody's actually arguing that the U.S. needs to be there to fight the TIP, right? I mean... It's yeah, a, it's, and, and as an, a matter of fact, uh, most of the Department of Defense really doesn't want to fight these wars. I mean, if there's right. anything we've learned over the last, particularly over the last decade... But even if they did want to fight the war, I don't think they understand yeah, the TIP. This even isn't they, the argument they would right, make, right? Right. Like, e- even, you, even when they did want to fight the war, Bill, let me put it this way, it, because I had this argument with, with a, a Pentagon lawyer back in 2008. Even when they did want to fight the war, they didn't understand it. Yeah, they did. You know, so. Right. right. I mean, if, so. if you wanted to fight wars, right, like you would be a, a war, let's say a, a Pentagon-friendly war. I don't think there's such a thing because we can't win wars in places where we should be able to stomp our enemies. But, you know, you they'd be highlighting every day, every second of every day say, al-Qaeda sheltering inside of Iran and conducting operations from within Iran. Like, that's a war that, yeah, there is, you know, some more suppo- suppose, support supposedly. in Washington for that, you know? Suppose, supposedly. I, I think that gets overblown. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, there's been this, this idea that the U.S. has been angling or some people in the U.S. have been angling for war with Iran. I want to do this in a separate episode. I don't want to get off on this tangent here because that, I, I mean, look, we're here sitting here in 2020, and I've heard since... 2006 oh, God, yes. or 2003 or whatever the U.S. is going to war with Iran. It didn't happen, you know? Well, so no, I mean, my, my whole point with that— It gets to be a tired old song at some point, yeah, you know? My point you on know? that, time yeah. is it, it hasn't right. happened. Right. So they're not even pushing for that one trying to build the case for war, let alone right. trying to say we need to invade Afghanistan to go after the TIP. That was the whole point of that, not saying that that's actually yeah, I th- happening. I think, what you're try- I think what you're trying to get at is basically, you know, you, and this is something I want to talk about when we talk about Iran in a future episode, and I, I don't—we'll just leave it—put a— punctuation on this and move back to TIP. Um, you know, the stuff isn't shouldn't always be seen through the prism of trying to justify war yes. or this or that. Yes. You need to bifurcate your analysis of what's going on and then have a discussion about what to do about it, you know? And the TIP is a good example of that. I don't think anybody's, you know, looking to basically 
prolong America's military presence in Afghanistan because of the TIP. Now, on the other hand, I do think you have to factor in the TIP in any assessment of Al-Qaeda and what it's doing, and the U.S. has to protect itself against Al-Qaeda. So, And uh, if, look, a, Tom, if, if, the TI, if it was just the TIP was the only terrorist threat emanating from Afghanistan— Right, it's plenty, yeah. Plenty of others. That wouldn't be justification for a war in Afghanistan. Right. The problem is they're allied with the Taliban. They're part of Al-Qaeda, you know. So it's part, you know, what we're doing here is trying to explain the entire threat. The TIP is a part of it, and that's what makes them a threat. If it was just 500 TIP fighters who were primarily concerned about conducting attacks inside of China, you know, that's not really a a, a a vital U.S. interest, and well, you know, but that, that that gets to why I think, yeah, you know, we, we alluded to the disconnect the daughters, the people who play disconnect the daughters, we were like, that's what drives their analysis, right? Yeah. Is basically they're trying to explain it as you know, during this podcast, we took a couple of swipes at anybody who would describe this as a nationalist group, right? Because it clearly isn't a nationalist group, but that's where that comes from is basically trying to explain, trying to picture this group as something other than what it is to justify justify inaction by the U.S. military, right? So, and that that's actually what I'm saying is that that's the stronger. That's the stronger analytical urge here than trying to, to use this group like this to just. It's not that people are running around trying to use this group to justify military action. I think there are people trying to downplay it in order to basically invalidate military action in Afghanistan. Um, so in any event, let's go back to this. So Abdul Haq, let's go back to the main theme of this podcast, which is you know Chinese oppression in Xinjiang. Uh, Abdul Haq al-Turkistani himself has spoken out about, about this. In March 2019, he released a message in which he addressed Habatul Akhanzada, that's the, the Taliban honcho, the Taliban's main emir. He's known as the emir of the faithful for the Taliban. Uh, and Abdul Haq also addressed Ayman al-Zawahiri, and he named a bunch, he name-checked a bunch of al-Qaeda clerics. They released this sort of goofy little image with all their heads on it. I had posted it at Longwood Journal at the time. <laughs> and, and Abdul Haq uh, basically was... Um, blasting the Chinese government for its impression, oppression in Xinjiang and going and and sort of what was going on with Muslims there, and was calling for all these jihadis, the Taliban and Al Qaeda, to come to his aid and come to the TIP's aid and support the cause. Now, um, you know, basically in the way that his message was marketed again, this is March 2019. You know, it was absolutely crystal clear that it was part of the Taliban Al Qaeda axis or nexus. Absolutely crystal clear the way, again, with these goofy little head images. And actually, you go through all the clerics that are on the images that the TIP put out with that message, and you could see who they consider to be part of the Al Qaeda network, including guys in Syria, Canada, London. These are all clerics uh, that are, are part of the Al Qaeda global network. Um, and so, how did Al Qaeda respond? Well, just a few days later, or you know, maybe a week or two later, a uh, couple weeks later, um, Al Qaeda leadership responded with a message a strong message declaring its solidarity with the TIP and praising Abdul Haq's leadership and basically saying, you're right, we need to do more to, to sort of combat Chinese oppression in Xinjiang and, and sort of go after them. I think that's sort of still a long-term goal is for them to do more in China in that regard. Uh, but again, it was sort of this back and forth. Again, this is early 2019, showing how the TIP is part of the Al-Qaeda network. You don't have this exchange of messages. You don't have the TIP, call, Abdul Haq, calling for more support from Al-Qaeda, and then Al-Qaeda quickly sort of saluting him and saying, yes, you know, you deserve it, unless he's firmly within the Al-Qaeda fold after all these years. Right, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is a, a prime example. This is... Uh, if this isn't orchestrated, I would, you know, I, let's put it this way. I put a good bit of money that this was orchestrated. The uh, two statements were released uh, within four weeks of each other, um, and they're hitting on the same themes. And it's, yeah, this is just part of, you know, it's just now. A part I will of the say picture. this about it. I will say this about it though. The Abdul Haq's original message, which we translated, um, 
it did seem a little bit um, like he was disappointed in the support that he thought the TIP wasn't getting from the, the international jihadis in terms of going after China. Uh, maybe he was, you know, he was trying to ur- urge them to do more. Now, maybe there was a rhetorical stunt to try and get all these people right. to genuflect, you know. And the Taliban didn't officially say anything about this to their channels and any of their sites. They're playing the, the game where they're not going to recognize any of this, um, at least publicly. But Al-Qaeda did, and that was interesting. And, of course, the Taliban didn't do anything to disclaim the TIP and still hasn't disclaimed the TIP to, uh, after all this time. Now, which brings us to sort of the final part of this um, story here on the TIP, they do occasionally still occasionally still advertise their role in the fighting in Afghanistan. But this, as Bill alluded to earlier, embarrasses the Taliban. And in fact, the Taliban continues to lie about the presence of the TIP in Afghanistan. Here's another example. So Caleb, our guy, right? Caleb Weiss, a grad student, writes for us. Good guy. We're going to have him on the show in the future here to talk about his experience and all this. I think it's going to be somewhat funny uh, given what we have planned for that episode. Um you know, he wrote up a, a simple thing in December of last year, you know, saying, here's what the TIP is saying about its operations in Afghanistan alongside the Taliban. And immediately, Zabahul Mujahid, the, the Taliban spokesman, or, you know, the, probably several people who operate under that nom de guerre, but his Twitter account anyway, comes out and immediately decries this as lies. It's all lies. You know, there are no foreign fighters in Afghanistan. These are just, these are just jihadis who are operating as part of the Islamic Emirate. Now, it's just so funny, right? Because, first of all, you know, the t- the only people who are talking about this are us, right? Yeah. About what the, first, right. first of all, the Turkestan Islamic Party reports it. We just say what the Turkestan Islamic Party is saying. That's all Caleb did. He just said, here's what the Turkestan Islamic <laughs> Party is saying, right? And, you know, nobody, you know, you think the State Department and St- Secretary of State Mike Pompeo or Zalmay Kilozad or any of these other people who have been in, tasked with these negotiations with the Taliban, you think that they, at this time, we're talking about 2019, we're going to change courses based on this long war journal post discussing the TIP in Afghanistan? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to backtrack on that stuff. And yet the Taliban, which, you know, they need a lesson in PR, it would have been better for them to just ignore it and not say anything. But actually, I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they came out and, and, and sort of had to make this ridiculous statement or issue a statement about it because it shows that they continue to lie about Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda-affiliated groups in Afghanistan. After all this time, they're still lying about it. Um, you know, because there's no real doubt that that this, the Turkestan Islamic Party is there, right, Bill? I mean, there's nobody really doubts that they're there. No, look, the, the Turkestan Islamic Party's own emir is the, put out those pictures. So the Taliban, in essence, is calling the TIP's emir a liar in this. That's, well, that's the Uzbek I, guy. That's the Uzbek emir. Did that oh, oh, I'm sorry. That's right. You're right. That was the, the Uzbek emir, right? That's, that so case. that's so that's the next part of your Right, right. I'm sorry. I, I conflated the two. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, right. No, this, this, actually, who put out the pictures was, was on TI, the TIP's official website. Yeah, it was on their official TIP's website. Yeah, Telegram exactly. channels, social media. Yeah, it was all, because I, I saw it too before Caleb wrote it up. It was all just official stuff, you know? So now what happened, so that was December of last year. Then you flash forward to July of this year. This is what you're talking about, Bill, was with the emir, we mentioned this previously too, the emir of the Imam al-Bukhari Brigade or Battalion, whatever they refer to themselves as, in um, Syria actually posted images from Afghanistan showing these Uzbek jihadists, again, who probably have worked with the TIP in the past, but anyway, these Uzbek jihadists uh, working with the Taliban in Afghanistan as part of this sort of raid in Afghanistan where they kidnapped some guys or holding them hostage or, or holding them prisoner. Um, and again, the Taliban did the same thing and got all got all crazy, got, got all about this and put out a statement saying, oh, these are all lies and somebody raided our archives and stole these photos. It's just the Islamic Emirate Afghanistan fighters again. But again, just like with the TIP photos, it was this Imam al-Bukhari group 
that was posting this. Not us. It wasn't Long War Journal. I don't. I don't think you have any hacking skills, Bill. I know I don't. No. I know Caleb doesn't. Right. But yeah. I, I could. I could barely get my computer to work most days. <laughs> yeah, to Tom is a walking getting, EMP. Just in case I, you didn't. You I, yeah. If you want your computer to shut down, you just send me near it. In fact, I always. I always joke like you know if you want to stop the North Korean missile launches, just just parachute my ass in there and I'll deploy I'll get, get me anywhere near it, and the missiles will probably fizzle on the platform. You know, um, but. <laughs> You know, but but that but that's the point, right? Is that um, you know, it's just sort of ridiculous that they would go out of their way to lie about this stuff. But look, I think to to wrap this up for this week, here's the bottom line: Turkish Islamic Party still has probably thousands of fighters across Afghanistan, Syria. Billy, you think thousands? I know we're always suspicious of numbers, but I think that's probably a good. I guess, think it's right? reasonable. Look, they've said you know good they've guess. claimed that they've yep. hundreds and thousands of fighters gone through camps. I think there's more than you know. This group has been you know has been. Uh, it's withstood the test of time. Um, I don't it's see any leader, reason it's the leader, it's leader, it's, reasonable. It's, it's leaders had it's the top leaders had a generation here to recruit yeah. members. You know, yeah. A whole generation here, and things here. certainly aren't getting better in China when it comes to these groups. No. They certainly have a wider, more sympathetic base to recruit from. So I don't see any reason why they couldn't have 500, 1,000, or 2,000 fighters within their ranks. I think they're all, I mean, I'm just talking about Afghanistan, Pakistan right there, and probably another 1,000 or, or more in, in Syria. Yeah, and, and I think we're, if we had a forecast going forward, I would expect them to do more uh, to follow up on Chinese repression and what's going on in Xinjiang and and. Um, try and capitalize on that to get more disaffected Muslims who um, you know have their children stolen from them or have family members you know uh, sort of placed in some sort of horrible detention camp or in forced labor or um, have their sisters or mothers raped by the, the, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, this is sort of if you want to set up an ideal incubator for yeah. jihadism and how to recruit and give and give rep- oppressive tactics to for jihadis to exploit again. Trying to refract this through the lens of the of the ideology, the local grievances through that that ideological lens, the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing they're doing a good job of it. I think um, now it doesn't mean that the, the Turkestan Islamic Party and Al Qaeda will be successful, or the Islamic State will be successful. They're trying to. They've also written about this in Anab, their weekly newsletter, trying to capitalize on this as well, trying to exploit it. Um, doesn't mean they'll be successful in raging, you know, getting thousands of people to try to come into their ranks. You know, I mean, it, it, sometimes the tyrant wins. Um, but this is the dynamic that we're talking about here. That basically, this is this is type of this is a type of policies that where the Chinese government likes to say they're fighting terrorists. But you know, quite frankly, when I look at this, I think a lot of their policies are much more geared toward you know disaffecting, you know, basically radicalizing people and and, and, and ginning up anger than they are really fighting terrorism. Yeah, the Chinese policy is definitely directed at anyone who is not adhering to the communist state ideolo- ideology. Is they view them as a threat. That's why this is being done. And like you said, they're they're creating all they are they're creating all the conditions for the Turkestan Islamic Party and possibly the Islamic State to capitalize it and and have a, a sympathetic audience, a sympathetic population that um, may actually feed into the recruiting of these groups. Yeah, and I, I'll just say this too on, on our way out here uh, this week. Um, PBS Frontline did an incredible um, special on the oppression uh, in Xinjiang, and it's just chilling, absolutely chilling. And you look at the people in that episode, if you think that those people are jihadists, then you're out of your mind because they're not, you know? And th- and you can just see that they just want to go about their daily lives. And to have, a, you know, a husband basically is on the border of China trying to see, you know, what the. Uh, inquire about the fate of his wife or other loved ones 
I mean, it's just heartbreaking to watch that type of stuff. And so, yeah. So, so and I'll just add this, Tom, the, the silence of in the U.S. on this issue from groups like the NBA that capitalizes on the Chinese market and U.S. businesses. This is horrific. We have all the evidence um, that, that Chinese by the hundreds of thousands at a time are being put through through concentration camps um, or re-education camps, whatever you want to call them. And, and the, the media silence and um, business silence, it's, well, not the media. Media is reporting on this. I apologize for that. Um, but the, the silence of businesses on this issue and they'll take up lesser issues um, is it's just pretty disgusting. It, it, that well, and not only that, but what about all the Muslim-majority countries, the Muslim-majority yeah. governments that aren't decrying Chinese yeah. behavior here? Yeah, China's getting you a know, pass that's, on that's where that's where, That's where the hypocrisy really yeah. gets gets exposed because, you know, I, we started off by talking about Guantanamo and the research done in Guantanamo. Look, that's a complicated topic. We'll do another podcast on that. I'm not excusing everything that took place at Guantanamo, but Guantanamo is not was never even close to the scale of this. And many of the guys at Guantanamo, many of the detainees at Guantanamo, as Obama, President Obama's own commission found, own sort of uh, investigative work found, were actually jihadists of one form or another. Um, there weren't a ton of innocent go herders down there. Some of the media coverage would have you believe. Um, you know, very different situation between Guantanamo and these concentration camps in China. And yet you can see, um, you know, the U.S. took an awful lot of flack for Guantanamo from people who are now silent about these concentration yeah. camps in China. And that, that goes to speaks to anti-Americanism as a force and to really some of the ongoing challenges the U.S. is going to have going forward, trying to push its interests and its values uh, and, and, and basically promulgate and, um, spo- and sponsor sort of the, the types of values that we want to see around the world. So, And with that cheery note, as again, I warn you guys, I warn our listeners, we are not the place you come for happy talk. Uh, that's not what Generation Jihad is all about. But I'll leave you on, on one last leave you note, which is I'm sure Phil would, ask, would want me to ask you again to rate us on your Apple Podcast app. Can I get a th- thumbs up on, on Zoom here, Phil, as you're listening on this? Yeah, get a thumbs up. All right, good. So, uh, and Bill says it too. So if you're out there, give us five stars on, on your Apple Podcast app. I don't even have the Apple Podcast app, by the way. That's how much of a tech phobe I am. Uh, but It wouldn't work anyway, Tom. You would no, I probably, probably would shut down. But uh, what, what is internet anyway? What do you mean? That's big. Wait, how does one, what do you write to it? Like mail? Go ahead and do that for us to drive more people to the show. We're going to have more guests on in the future. We're, we have many shows lined up. Um, we've got a lot of different content we're going to be bringing your way. Um, but we're always thankful for you guys out there who are listening to us. We know we have a, good, a great audience. We know we have a very engaged audience. We know I have a lot of people out there who are really into this stuff and appreciate the sort of nerdy, you know, in the weeds detail we try and bring you. Uh, it's, it's The show is supposed to be a little bit off the cuff, as you, if you hadn't guessed. We, we try and script a little bit about what we're going to talk about, but Bill and I just basically like to get on this and just sort of uh, just basically gab at each other for, for an hour or an hour and a half. But we're going to do that with some more guests in the future, too. And we hope you guys are enjoying the show. Um, Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Generation Jihad. Please do subscribe to the show. As a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your shows. And we will see you again next week.